The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you, you're absolutely in the right place. We have a special four-week mini-series, we'll call it a micro-mini-series, featuring professors and MBA students at Baylor University in Texas. We're going to be talking with them about very interesting topics that are part of their research. I have to do a couple of shout-outs before I get started. Shout-out to Malcolm Kimberlin at SAP for putting this all together, working with Jeff Tanner and Lori Wilson. Thank you all. Really appreciate it. So let's get started. Today's buzz, it's a journey. What is she talking about? Well, customers today are changing the rules of the marketplace. It's true. They are digitally connected. They, they, we, we are socially networked. We are better informed than ever before, before we make a purchase. We jump between the web and mobile devices, in-store, out-of-store, phone, and guess what? We want it all to happen seamlessly, and we want it to be personalized. Wow, that's a lot to ask of a merchant, of a vendor, of a store, of a company, of a brand. Our voice matters More perhaps than what's in our wallet, because we talk, we speak, we shout from the social media rooftops. So what do businesses have to do when they capture our personal data? What do we want them to do with it? Do we care about privacy? Some do, some don't. Are we worried? Advice for retailers. How do they compete for our dollars, for our voices, for our loyalty? So much is on the table for businesses today. And if you talk to us, those of us who are consumers, and we all are, How would each of us describe our best ever customer experience? So our topic today, in case you haven't guessed, is the buyer's journey. What do they really, really, really want? And I'm going to change that to what do we really want? We've got an amazing panel here. I'm going to kick off this party with Professor Chris Pulling from Baylor University. And Chris sent me a quote that's a combination of original Chris Pulling and Kevin Lane Keller, who is a professor of marketing at the Tuck School of Business. And here's the quote. It's not rocket science, but it can get complicated. Chris Pollack, first up on the panel, how are you today? I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thank you for having me, and welcome from um, a shout-out from Baylor University in sunny and warm Waco, Texas, to everyone. Okay, rub it in. It's still cool here, but at least we have sunshine in New York. Thank you very much, Chris. Well, I'm glad (laughs) it's changing for you. Thank you. Chris, talk to me about this quote. It's not rocket science, but it can get complicated. Let's relate this to the buyer's journey. What do you think? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, so I, I really like this quote from Kevin Lynn Keller. He basically opens his um, strategic brain management textbook with a quote on it's not rocket science. Um, but I think, you know, it, it isn't. And, um, you know, essentially the 
consumers are still looking for things that are valuable to them. So the basis of marketing principles and branding remains the same. Uh, but what's complicated is the context. So what we see today is a, just an ever-changing marketplace. The pace of change is faster than ever before. We have new consumers entering the marketplace that have very different kind of values. Um, and technology is layered on top of all of this, making all of this happen quicker. And um, you know, the pace of change for retail in particular is, is dramatic, and it's difficult for them to keep up. It certainly is. And, and Chris, we'll talk about this later in the show, but I think one of the concerns is the, the legacy retailers, if I can put those two words together in a poetic license here. The ones who were around way before the digital age, way before we had people like our next two panelists who are MBA students at, at, uh, at Baylor, before they had dollars in their pocket, before they were even born. And, and these retailers are used to doing business the old fashioned way, right? It was all brick and mortar, Chris. It was all walk in and whatever happened the minute that door to the store opened, that was pretty much all you had plus some print advertising. Do I have that right, Chris? No, you're exactly right. And, you know, I think those are the people who really are facing the biggest challenge. Um, You know, I think going forward, we're going to see, you know, those guys really under a lot of pressure. And you're going to see, you know, already we see movement towards uh, increasing sales volume. The growth in sales is really coming from more online business. So those guys that have invested heavily in traditional brick-and-mortar retailing uh, are going to continue to fill this crunch. Uh, so we're going to see um, them with a necessity to basically up their game in terms of the technology that's interacting with customers in the store as well as moving perhaps to more online business. Thank you. And Chris, I think you and I and everybody in the panel has noticed that recently some of the, if I can say, traditional digital retailers are realizing that brick and mortar in-store face-to-face is still powerful and they are finding footprints in real brick and mortar locations now. So we're seeing a shift back to the old-fashioned way in combination with the digital approach. So we can talk about that later. Thank you, Chris, so much. And let me introduce the first of your two students. One is Arnold Bueso. He's a Baylor University MBA student, and Arnold sent me a wonderful quote from the late Dr. Maya Angelou. We've all heard this quote, and it always bears repeating. Arnold sent me this quote, people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Arnold Bueso, first up of our MBA students, welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers. How are you, Arnold? Hi, Bonnie. I'm great. Thanks for having us on on your show. We're delighted. So talk to me. Why did you pick this Maya Angelou quote, which is such a classic? As I like to say on the show, Arnold, somebody should crochet this on the side of a pillow or write it on the side of a wall, a beautiful graffiti, because it really matters to all of us. So how come you picked this quote for our topic, Arnold? Well, yeah, yes, it's a very popular quote from a great American author, and I think we can all relate it to an interpersonal situation that we might have had. But I chose it for our topic because it's highly relevant also for the relationship between companies and individuals. So uh, now companies have so many channels and ways to interact with customers, and that exposes them more to customer perceptions of their actions in these channels. So as um, customers might forget what a company said in a tweet or an ad, for example, but if that action makes them feel like their privacy is being violated or uh have some negative negative feeling towards a customer they're going to remember that and i think that's the reason why i chose the quote and it relates a lot to our research topic 
Thank you, Arnold. I have a question for you, quick question. I know you weren't counting on me asking you a question, but here I'm going to do it anyway. I mentioned in my intro that the definition of a best-ever customer experience, I think each of us decides that, but I'm going to ask you, how old are you, Arnold? I'm 28. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. Okay. Uh, what I, wa- I, I didn't expect that. I wanted to know. I want to know. Just briefly, what is your definition for you, uh, somebody who has money to spend? What is your definition of the best ever customer experience? Just so we can get that on the table quickly in the show. What do you think? Um, my definition would be to have the the retailer or the the person where, which I will be giving my business to or, or my, my dollars to, um, have them service me in a way that I don't quite feel like they're servicing me. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm explaining mm-hmm. it correctly, but you are, um, it, not making them, um, uh, try as hard and having all the options available to me in a straightforward and easy way for me to, to use those options to, for me to find what I'm looking for. No hard sell and plenty of options. I like that. Thank you, Arnold. Sorry to put you under pressure, but I think my Angela would agree with that. Don't put us under pressure. Just make us feel welcome and comfortable and ready to help us. Good. Next up on the panel is another MBA student from Baylor University. It's Hakin. I'll spell that A-K-I-N. Oladipo. And he sent me a quote from Jeremiah 12.5. Those of you not familiar, there are many versions of this, Hakin. I looked it up, but we'll use the one you sent me. It's if you have run with the footman and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted they wearied you, then how will you do in the, I'm going to insert this, tangled maze of jungle haunted by lions in the swelling and flooding of the Jordan? Beautiful quote. Hakin Oladipo, welcome. How are you today? Good, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on the show. We're delighted. Talk to me. Very interesting quote for our topic of the buyer's journey. I don't know if Jeremiah was a buyer in, back in the day, but uh, what do you say? Why did you pick this quote and relate it to our topic? Right. Uh, the quote has uh, both a personal um, connection and, a, and on topic uh, uh, also Hangu. Um, I used to have a laundry business back in Nigeria, and uh, um, one of my long-term aspirations is to one day be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. You know, and operating in Nigeria can be challenging, um, you know, from a business perspective. But um, this code is something I tell myself that, you know, if you're going to compete, uh, if you're going to be a successful CEO of a Fortune 500 company, you can't allow yourself to be weighed down by the challenges you're facing right now. You know, mm-hmm. bringing, it, bringing it down to the topic, uh, I, can, I think uh, you, the discussion you had with Dr. Poli kind of sums it up. You know, um, we're used to this brick and mortar type, type of advertising. You know, that's the whole era of advertising. That's the era of the footman. You know, mm-hmm. now we're in the era of the horseman. If as a business you can't compete with the footman, you can't compete, you find it hard, you know, to compete when the, we have this point advertising, brick and mortar type of thing. And uh, this new age that we are now, you're gonna just going to find it much more harder to compete. Okay, very, very interesting. Uh, you explained that just beautifully. Is this one of your favorite quotes in life in general? Did you find this just for our topic today, Hakin? It is. It is in life in general. For 
I appreciate that. Thank you very much. That's a first for us here on the show, and, and beautifully done. Oh, now I'd like to welcome the SAP panelists. We always have one on the panel, and I'm pleased to welcome Bill Howe. He's the Vice President of SAP Customer Engagement and Commerce Solutions, so he's perfect for this topic. And Bill sent me a really cool quote from Steve Jobs. Here it is. It's more fun to be a pirate than to join the Navy. Woohoo! I want to I want to get a patch, an eye patch, and a scarf and a bandana. Bill, welcome. How are you, Bill Howe? Great, Bonnie. Thanks for uh, having me. Wonderful. You're in good company here. We've already set up the topic very well with Chris Pollig and Arnold Boiso and Hakeem Oladipo from Baylor. So uh, the burden is on you now. What do you, th- what do you think about the buyer's journey? What do you observe, Bill, through your quote? Well, you know what's interesting? Um, I, I think with uh, business being much more dynamic and, in general, the kind of buyer demographics that everybody seems to be wanting to go to um, has somewhat of a fickle kind of uh, purchasing behavior. What we see are a lot of companies, both new and existing companies, taking risks. It's a lot easier mm-hmm. to take risks. It's a lot easier to experiment. Not everything's going to work. But one thing is very clear, and maybe this is just something that's bred out here in Silicon Valley, innovators win share. And I think that's really what everybody's trying to do. Um, it's so easy to experiment. It's so easy to just break the mold. Um, and if you're successful and you happen to hit a sweet spot, you gain um, a terrific business model and you gain a lot of loyal customers. Interesting approach, Bill. How many companies do you think? I was talking with Chris Pollig earlier about the legacy retailers been around forever. How many of them do you think are willing to take that kind of risk? Go out on, I won't say go out on that limb, Bill, but in honor of your quote, I'll say go out on that plank. Walk that plank out into the risky sea of dealing with new ways of approaching customer relationships. How many do you think are going to stand back and say, well, let's see if somebody else did it, even if they're a competitor, and see if it worked for them? What's your observation? You know what? I think everybody has to try it. And the reason why I say this is the Internet really has changed how consumers do research um, and how they explore, how they discover, and how ultimately they make purchase decisions. And what we're seeing, particularly from a software vendor standpoint, is that the you know, kind of traditional brick-and-mortar or the traditional website or the traditional call center um, you know, still act as kind of silos within organizations. And so the new concept that I think everybody is, is moving towards is something called omni-channel. Okay, mm-hmm. it's the same customer experience across all those channels um, as a buyer, okay, or as a consumer. If you want to research something and then go find out if it's in a store, you can do that on your phone. You can do that on your desktop. You can even do it while you're in the store. And uh, at some point in time, I'd love to share with you a, a story that I personally had buying uh, my wife's birthday present. Uh, it, you know, because of this survey that was going on in the research project, I, I spent a little bit more time thinking about how I experienced mm-hmm. and how I, you know, went through this process. And it was actually very enlightening for me. Interesting. Bill, I want you to tell us that story right now because I know I've read it and it's a very engaging story. So give us a brief version of that story and then I'm going to circle back to Chris Pulley, who I know is waiting to share his what's in your cup today story with me. So Bill, what what happened with you in the purchasing journey? Great. So my wife's birthday was this past weekend. And for those of you um, who who have wives, girlfriends, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes hard to figure out what they would like for their birthday. You know, no kidding. Um, so I came, 
<laughs> so I came up with the idea, you know what, um, I don't necessarily buy my wife a dress very often. Okay, and, uh, and, and to be honest, because I don't, it, it's almost like a totally new experience for me. And, uh, and so, you know, um, like most guys probably, I waited till the last minute. Didn't have a lot of time, uh, so it was after work, go visit uh, in this particular case. I, I just zeroed in on Nordstrom's, and that's only because, you know, some past experience. But I downloaded an app on my iPhone, and their shopping experience on the web, what, what typically is called their product catalog, their ability to connect with forums. And in particular, it wasn't just customer forums, but it also had some idea of who these people were on the forum in terms of their size, their shape, okay? Mm-hmm. And it gave me a much better feel for, you know, would my wife like this? Would it actually fit her body style? And then, um, you know, researching where that dress was located, I was able to walk in and, and basically I just opened up the app and I would show the salesperson, i go, hey, what do you think of this? And, uh, and she'd walk me right over to it. And wow. what, it, what it ended up being was a very efficient trip. And I love that because it's pretty awkward being the only guy in a women's dress department when, um, <laughs> you know, you don't really know what you're doing. You don't even know what rack you're supposed to be looking at. And you just want to get out of there as quickly as you can. Bill, women have the same feeling when they go into the dress department. <laughs> Let me get out of here as fast as I can. But I think Chris and Arnold and, and Huck and the two younger people on the panel, I think they'll agree. They'll agree. Bill Howe gets the award for bravery and the line of action. <laughs> I think you really get that one. And you also, Bill, you just shared with us your version, as I asked Arnold a minute ago, your version of a best ever customer experience. What do you think of that? So thank you for answering the question without realizing it. Guess what? I'm going to circle back to Chris. I gave you fair warning, Chris. Shot across the bow in pirate language from Bill Howe's quote. What's in your cup today? And Bill, the reason, I'm sorry, Chris, the reason is that you're on Coffee Break with Game Changers. So we want to know a little more about Chris Pulling. Where are you right now? What time of day is it? What are you drinking right this second, if it's interesting? If not, what are you going to drink to celebrate after the show? Go ahead, Chris. Okay, Bonnie, I'm actually not going to be the most original and, and novel individual in this area. I'm, I'm not too big to admit I'm addicted to my morning coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm also somewhat uh, addicted to a couple of brands. And, um, you know, they are really a big part of my life. And uh, this is, this is um, you know, basically similar to what Bill's story is, and that is these are brands I know I can trust. So I fire up my Keurig. And um, I am really a, a fan of Keurig, and uh, I'm also a fan of one specific type of coffee that I purchased for going my my coffee maker, and it's a Emerald's uh, Easy Big. Uh, it's Big Easy Bold, and mm. uh, part of that is because it connects with me, in that I spent a number of years in South Louisiana. So you know, I kind of I sat back and analyzed one of the reasons I uh, choose these products and choose to put these in my cup is largely related to the topic we're talking about, and that is this idea that uh, these are brands that really connect with me on some some level. 
I like that. I like that a lot. Thank you. I have a Keurig, too. But funny thing is, uh, Chris, I just lost my interest in coffee about three weeks ago. All of a sudden, I just went cold turkey, no coffee. I keep looking at the, the boxes of the little Keurig, whatever you call them, little K-cups. And I haven't opened one in, in almost three weeks. But the, the urge will come back. So there. And, and by okay. the way, it's a, se- it's a secret. Don't tell anybody. They don't let Bonnie have caffeine on radio show days. Uh. I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why. Arnold Bueso, let's hear what you're drinking today or what you're going to have after the show sure bonnie well right now i'm actually drinking some coffee as well but i'm drinking some home-brewed coffee from honduras actually which is mm. my home country uh it's cafe welches copan gourmet coffee that's that's the name and it's it's from uh, the honduras region of copan and what does it taste like? Is this full strength, high calf, a full test? We call it high test. Chris knows what that is. High test, or is it a decaf, half calf? Uh, is it a bold coffee, a mild coffee? What's the flavor, Arnold? Oh, it, it's it's bold. This one is actually lightly toasted, but I would prefer I prefer them stronger on the strong side. So I I brew them a little stronger. I'm with you. Do you put anything in it or straight out? Right now, I'm drinking it straight out. All right, my kind of guy. Thank you very much. Hakim, we'd love to know what you're drinking today. Uh, <clears throat> Bonnie, uh, right after the show, I'm going to be drinking a coconut pineapple smoothie. Um, it's a mix of blend of pineapples, coconut milk, shavings, ice, and some protein powder. And um, what this drink does is that it reminds me of a similar drink uh, back home called canoe. And uh, 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 when you drink it, it you, you almost feel the way it embraces the cell in your stomach. You know, it's, it's a soothing <laughs> feeling. It's, it's lovely. It's undescribable. I love that. Lovely and undescribable and soothing. That's a beautiful thing. Thank you, Hakin. And Bill Howe, I can't ask you to top any of those stories, so give me whatever you're drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I, what I'm drinking is, is the Bill Howe Mocha Hazelnut Java Supreme. And and does that come in a label that says the Bill Howe on it? <laughs> you know, there's actually a little story behind this one. Um, you know, the, when the Starbucks craze was going on and everybody used to be, you know, stopping for their $4 cups of coffee, you know, I decided after, you know, realizing how much money was being spent that, that maybe, hey, maybe I can come up with my own version. And, uh and so, you know, through the use of instant coffee, and even though we've got one of these fancy Nespresso machines, I still like the instant coffee approach. Um, it's just quicker, easier, no cleanup, and uh, it's what gets me going in the morning. There you go, and that's the most important thing. We are off to a great start here. We're talking today about the buyer's journey. What do they really want? And it really boils down to what do we really want? Because we're all buyers, and we heard a great story from Bill Howe at SAP about buying a dress. Oh, my goodness. Bill, that's going to go down in history. Thank you for sharing that. I am speaking today with Professor Chris Pulling at Baylor University, Arnold Bueso, a Baylor University MBA student, Akin Aladipo, another Baylor University MBA student and Bill Howe, VP of SAP Customer Engagement and Commerce Solutions. I have a couple shout-outs here to Lori Wilson, Maribel Young, and we have Nayaki Nayar SAP who are also tweeting for us. If you want to tweet, if you hear something really interesting and you have a question or comment for me or my panelists, please remember to include hashtag SAP Radio, all one word, S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O, and I will see it and we will, yes, we've got somebody, Baylor MBA, shout-out to you as well. We're 
We're going to take a very brief break, and when we come back, we're going to start our roundtable discussion, kicking it off with Chris Pulling, looking at some of the notes he sent me before the show. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be right after the break. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. Welcome back. And we're talking today about the buyer's journey. What do they or we and we really, really want? I'm going to start off the roundtable with Dr. Chris Pullig from Baylor University. And let's see. I'm looking at your notes. Chris, let's see what we want to. Yeah, let's talk about... Understanding how your customer sees value, important word, value, is essential to your customer's success, your company's success, and consumers are looking for value in every interaction. We've already talked about multi-channel, omni-channel, and all of the different ways that we interact with retailers today. So how does a company, Bill, Chris, uh, how does a company see the value? How do you define it? How do you make it something across the board? Do you have to customize it for every single customer, every single interaction. What do you see, Chris Pulley? Well, this is where the complexity comes in. So because it is, and, you know, I know that I have sent you a couple of other notes about this idea that, you know, the value equation for each individual consumer or customer is very multidimensional, and it's it's also dynamic in that it's, it's continually changing. Um, and the complexity here is in that traditional demographics don't always capture um, this value proposition. So this is where the um, higher level uh, analytics uh, can play a significant role in the, in the company understanding basically what their customers do see as value through their past interactions and the things that they're looking for uh, when they visit uh, different uh, digital kind of media. Okay, let's get Arnold in on this. Arnold, thoughts about value? I I agree with Dr. Dr. Pulig and and his uh, idea of customers uh, identifying value and I think they're identifying value at different uh, at different rates depending on the the on the on certain demographics as well. So we even have uh our data even suggests that um some of these customers are uh identifying certain uh patterns as more valuable than others. For example, 
We have a, a question in one of our research that asks uh, our panelists to rank um, uh, their uh, how uh, uh, a retailer suggestion based on a body scanner makes them hmm. feel if they make them feel comfortable, uncomfortable, or indifferent. And we found that females are actually uh, more uh, are females are actually more comfortable to this idea, and they're even more comfortable if it's from a brand that they know and love as opposed to a brand that is unknown to them. So there are many ways that we can interpret them, and we, we're not sure why, but uh, we can maybe say that they're identifying the value of these technologies at a different rate than others. Interesting. Tell me a little bit about the research, Arnold. Where was it done and when? Yes, um, this is uh, for... We're trying to, to understand what customers uh, value in, in different scenarios. So we're placing uh, the, the consumers in three different scenarios based on a brand or retailer that they love and trust, a brand or retailer that they occasionally shop with, and a brand or retailer that they've never shopped with. And we're putting them in similar scenarios with controlling for those three different uh, brand relationships and comparing their, their responses to, to get a sense of uh, the role that the brand relationship plays on uh, their comfort levels as well as uh, other factors. Interesting. Thank you very much. Akin, talk to us. What do you observe? Value. Yeah, I think um, a lot of that has to do with what the, what the consumer found, finds useful for him or her. You know, uh, and that's the right way to distill, you know, <clears throat> um, accurate information from the noise that is all all over the internet. You know, everybody has their information out there. You know, um, and uh, the regular consumer is, is, you know, kind of bombarded with all this information. So, how do you distill what the customer needs from the noise that is out there? You know, and that's where the idea of value comes in. You know, uh, um, we found out that customers are are more willing to, you know, give a little bit of information about themselves. You know, or they, they they're able to they are more willing to give out some uh, give illustrations for the the comfort level that they feel if they think the information is going to benefit them in some way. You know, so uh, regarding that body scan thing, if it is going to help you or make it faster for you to mm-hmm. get get in and out of a store. You know, you walk into a store and there's a machine that can scan your body size and suggest to you, oh, this part of the department store is where the clothes that will fit your size, uh, where those clothes are. And you go there easily and you pick out your choice and you walk out within two minutes. You know, you find that you, you won't find that intrusive. Uh, I'm just going to make a comment here as a female. If they send you to a department where the sizes are bigger than what you want to think you are, you're still not going to be too happy, and that's something that should be a reality check for retailers. Women like sizes that make them think they are smaller than they are. I rest my case. Thank you, Akeem. Good insights. Bill Howe, I know you having just been through this, I know you have a lot to say. So what's, what's your idea of value? You were a shopper for a woman's garment, but in general, when you shop for yourself, Bill, what's your version of, and what do you observe uh, from your professional standpoint, what do you observe in terms of value how do you define it yeah so so let, let me let me use the example of the dress i don't know if any of you have ever walked into a women's dress or at least the males on this uh panel and, and uh listening there are so many dresses to pick from 
it's, it's mind-boggling. And what's amazing is what you see on the floor is usually just one, and there's probably, you know, ten different sizes in the back, but they just put one out and then, you know, get you to get the, whoever, the salesperson to, to come over. And, and, and one of the things that I really learned from this experience with my, my wife's birthday um, present is that I definitely would love to provide some information about my wife's size, you know, her, you know, I don't know what the, the terminology is for, for body shape and, and stuff like oh, that. Oh, just go out on a limb and say it, Bill. <laughs> Come on. If, if You've it, already if committed takes, a couple of crimes here. If it, if it takes 15 minutes off that, that time on the floor, I'm all for it. And, uh, and, and one of the things that, that, that I, I think is, is um, of value to me, you know, I, I mean, I still probably have a younger mentality in my mind. And, you know, when you look at, at uh, catalogs and when you look at, you know, models and mannequins and all that, I mean, you, you have, you know, certain ideas of, of what, you know, the dress might look like, you know, probably a little bit shorter on the hemline and, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I always got to do the reality check, will my wife wear this, you know? And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and so definitely I would say, um, I had no idea, for instance, there were so many different hemlines on, on, a, on a dress. And, you know, it could come in so many shapes and sizes. I thought all that was just tailoring. But uh, because of all those choices, I would love to be able to have, um, you know, something kind of assist me with my selection or future selection of a dress if I were to ever buy another one for my wife again. Very interesting. Chris Pollock, you started this part of the conversation. Yeah. Why don't you finish it? Thoughts? Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, really what, what I'm hearing is um, all can expect really well to Bill's story about buying the dress. I mean, really, when you think about Bill's value equation um, is unique to him, it's, it's probably shared by many of us who might be in the same situation, but it's basically a value equation that's driven by really two main factors. One is risk and the other is time. Uh, because Bill took a significant amount of risk. Uh, you know, he, he really is gambling a bit in terms of being able to go and buy this dress uh, to where it's going to make his wife happy. He's not going to make some major faux pas. Uh, and I'm sure Bill, Bill felt this risk when he was in that process of, of making I bet he I did. was sweating bullets. I yeah. bet you were. I bet yeah. you were. Go ahead, Chris. So it's risk. And then the second dimension is really time. Uh, because, you know, you even heard him say, you know, if he could stay 15 minutes and, uh, you know, because he could have easily spent days, um, you know, because, I, you know, I, I buy things for my wife and I spend days contemplating, you know, what to buy, which one of what I'd choose in a category to buy. And, you know, so there was a lot of time invested. So if we can if we can reduce that time, so it's largely risk and time. Um, you know, for someone else, it may be more about price. Uh, so the value equation is very unique to each individual con- consumer or customer. Um, and really, when you think about it, what Bill did is he turned to exactly what Arno and uh, Hakim are, are talking about, and as he tr- turned to a brand he trusted. He turned to the Nordstrom's brand because it was a brand he had some previous experience with, and he trusted the brand, and that's where he went. And then the brand confirmed uh, that they were a brand that he should have been trusting in. Uh, so, you know, they understood this value equation relatively well. Um, and the ability for them to, to basically fulfill, um, you know, his needs and create value for him will bring him back again. And it does in turn, just as what um, uh, Arno's and uh, Akeem's uh, research indicates, 
makes it to where he'll be more willing to share information in the future, which he mm-hmm. stated as well. So this all really connects well with exactly the, the kind of things that these guys are finding in their research. And we're going to move to some of Arnold Bueso's research. But, Bill Howe, I have a tip for you. If the price tag is hefty enough, it really doesn't matter what you buy for your <laughs> wife. If, if there's enough value where she can say, well, his heart was in the right place, I can return it and get something I really love. As long as the price tag on the tag is high enough, she'll know how much you adore her. So that's what I have to tell you. It's just a very simple talking about value. It's the value to the recipient as well as the value Mm -hmm. to the buyer. But I digress. Arnold Boiso, I'm looking at your talking points. Something very interesting here. You say conveniently. Companies now have more information on their customers than ever before. They have the tools and the channels to provide the relevance. And we talked before about customizing that experience. Relevance to individual customers. But here's the thing. You say, how much is too much? At what point do, for example, targeted advertisements or relevance becomes a privacy invasion? When is it too much noise? When is it battle against the convenient versus the inconvenient? Arnold, what does your research show in terms of when is too much information used in the wrong way, too much for the customer, and they will run as fast as they can to your competitor? What do you see? Thanks, Bonnie. Um, I just want to take take the chance also to, to point out that there are, we have uh, we approach this as a team, and we could only be two panelists here and the and the mm-hmm. radio spot. But there are four other members of the team. So, so um, our, what our research is showing is that it depends on on certain factors. Uh, how much is too much is different for. Um, for example, the brand relationship here is huge. This is what we've found preliminarily in our in in our preliminary responses. Customers are more forgiving of their favorite brands or stores, so that they tend to view the targeted ads from these stores as more comfortable and less uncomfortable than would be expected based on the responses of the entire group. Mm-hmm. And uh, customers are less forgiving for stores that they've never shopped with in this regard. So um, th- this is primarily what uh, one of the points that our research was trying to 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 achieve and to get a, uh, insights on. Very interesting, Arnold. How do you feel personally about this? What's what's your thought when you see an ad, for example, comes across on your iPhone or some other mobile device, and and you say, ah, they know too much. How did they know that? Why did they know? Nah, that's too intrusive. Versus, wow, I'm going to turn my car around and head right over there now because that special is just too good to miss. And they knew exactly that I needed that thing today. How do you deal with that, Arnold? Well, if uh, for me, if it's something that benefits me, if it's something that, that I know that, that they've helped me uh, like become aware of, and uh, if the targeted ad it does that to me and says, wow, they really knew that I needed this, I'm going to go, then I feel fine with it, but it can vary with another person. And also, I'm usually more indifferent, so usually mm-hmm. some ads, when I don't need something, I just don't don't uh, pay attention to them. So I would probably fall into the indifference category. They don't make me uncomfortable, but they're, they're, they don't bother me as much either. So um, once companies get to be more relevant, uh, mm-hmm. they, they they have the jumps of 
for the customers that actually find the value in it. So I would I would be more forgiving, I'd say, when they when they have, uh, identify my needs. Thank you. Very, very interesting. I was thinking as you were speaking, Arnold, that I'll call it the mental delete button is when you simply ignore an ad. It's like deleting it from your email inbox. You just say, mentally, I'm not interested, and you just move your thoughts to something else. Akeen Oladipo, I, I want to hear what you have to say about what Arnold just brought up. What are you, what's your experience and your research? I think this is very interesting because uh, I think it's, a, it's something a lot of us can relate to. Uh, imagine you're on the website and you're just browsing a website and an ad pops up, you know, this kind of ad that just pops up and fills up the entire screen. Uh, I personally, I don't even read it. I just close it and go back to mm-hmm. what I was doing originally, you know, because I, I, I think I find out I, 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 most of the time, even if the information is useful to me, uh, I find that a little bit intrusive. You know, uh, and those kind of ads just pop up and, you know, wants to fill up the entire screen. I just close it and move on. You know, uh, um, another example is uh, imagine if uh, Bill is on another website uh, and, you know, because he just bought a dress for his wife, if he gets hard, you know, advertising other female dresses, you know, he's going to begin to wonder where, That's right. where they got that information from. That's right. You know, so uh, um, you, you, you tend to measure that against uh, the usefulness of the information that you, you're getting. But uh, for me, if, if it's not something I, I willingly give out, if, if, if I'm going to question the source of the information, if you're sending me a targeted ad and I don't know where you get it from, I'm not going to look at it. I'm just going to delete it. Interesting. Good point of view. Thank you. Bill Howe, thoughts? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, um, Data privacy is actually defined differently um, in various parts of the world. And, um, you know, for instance, in, in Europe, they're super strict. In fact, email addresses are considered private information, and you need mm-hmm. explicit permission to, to be able to store that or somebody to store that information. Um, so, you know, I think retailer tactics are, are probably drastically different uh, because of these statutory laws. I, I think for me personally, with regards to um, uh, these types of ads, you know, uh, unless that vendor or that, you know, retailer uh, is somebody that, that, that has earned my loyalty, um, to be honest, I, I ignore it. And, uh, you know, I don't know how effective in the grand scheme of things um, those types of ads are. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the research reflects uh, kind of the responsiveness of, of consumers to these types of ads. Um, but for me, I find it a little bit annoying. And, and you're absolutely right. Uh, when I go to websites now, I'm getting all these women's, you know, dresses mm-hmm. and things like that. <laughs> and it's a little awkward when I'm doing a presentation and all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, if I'm in the browser, a woman's dress ad pops up in front of an audience. So, so yeah, I think oh. find it a little intrusive. They should know that I'm a male buying for my wife and tone it down a little bit. <laughs> Bill, you just need a badge or something you put up or a new logo. I love buying clothes for my wife. You just need to have that. Take it everywhere. Put it on your briefcase, on your iPad. That's your new logo. Put it on Twitter. What can I tell you? Chris Pulling, I have to move this along. Chris, thoughts on this one before we move to another topic? Go ahead. No, I think it's really interesting, and I think it's it's really nice how this is all connecting back to Bill's, uh, Bill's story because – 
I think Hakeem mm-hmm. is exactly right. I mean, that's where the complexity comes in because, you know, we use these uh, metrics. So we know that Bill shopped and bought a dress. So we just we just push those ads out to him, and uh, so we can really have a lot of missteps. And we can do this in a variety of ways. We can misidentify uh, the shopper's needs, which in this case we have, because you know he's not going to go back and, and buy that item until um, another need like that pops up. We can misidentify on other demographic variables. So, you know, it really does open us up to a lot of risk as a, as a, as a merchant in terms of what we need to be pushing out to, to these individual customers. Uh, so that's, that's where the complexity comes into play. And, you know, so we need to really think about all these things. And I think that's where, you know, individual retailers have to really stop and analyze each type of buyer's journey that might be occurring um, and try to understand the best way to model that. And, you know, the data is probably there or the ability to at least input that kind of data is there. Um, so we could capture the data about why Bill bought the dress and um, and then we could store it. And then we could obviously push him back out ads around uh, times when he might be interested in, in making another purchase for his wife. Um, but, you know, that's where, you know, we're going to have to come up with ways as retailers to uh, collect this, this very useful data and utilize mm-hmm. it in unique ways. And just traditional demographics and behavioral data that we've used over the last decade or so may not be as useful going forward. Great point. And that brings me to, I'm looking at uh, Ken Oladipo's notes, and there's one thing in here I want to talk about I think is very interesting. Hakeem, you say the customer journey is no longer linear. We have already obviously talked about that. Consumers navigate the stages and channels in ways that suit them and expect retailers to be accessible through every touch point. But here's the key I want you to talk about, Hakeem. You say the funnel is dead. Long live the loop. And Hakeem, I looked this up. It's all over the web. It's been bandied about this. Sales funnels that get in the loop, long live the customer loop. Some people call it the loyalty loop. Some call it the customer decision journey loop. So uh, tell us a little bit about why you – I think this is great advice for anybody in the retail field. Why is it so important for you to uh, to talk about? Hakim? Yeah, Bonnie, uh, <clears throat> I think uh, the, 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 quote, the, the quote is kind of uh, on point. I say the funnel is dead. Uh, you know, we used mm-hmm. to look at – Information flow, this one-way interaction that you just pump, pump out all your information to the customer and they take it or, or you know, and they do whatever they want with it. But uh, now it's a loop, right? You have these interactions and you have uh, consumers jumping around these different touch points. And, you know, they expect you to be there, you know. Uh, uh, um, and that, that's where the interesting thing comes in because uh, you no longer you, – you can't get away with just pushing out information and just expecting customers to deal with that, you know. You have to receive feedback, and then you have to move across each different channels. You know, so it's, that's where it gets complicated. That uh, you need to be present in all these channels. You know, uh, you need to be directing the flow of information in a way that's going to give you the company the biggest payoff. Mm-hmm. And I came uh, this. We don't have time for the discussion of who is the right person, who are the right people to be in those roles, watching that feedback and acting on it. That's a whole other discussion, and we might have to do part two later in the year. Thank you, Hakeem. Bill Howe, I want to get you and then Chris and Arnold in on this conversation, and then I'm going to wrap up the roundtable in a couple minutes with a, a note from Bill Howe. So, um, Bill, thoughts on what Hakeem just put out there about the loop? Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a good way to describe it. Um, you know, I, I'll speak from, from my personal perspective. Mm-hmm. I don't think I fit any demographic profile 
that uh, you know companies may have on a typical consumer. I'd like to believe I'm unique. I like to believe that that uh, you know I'm maybe at some level indecisive um, because I'll just change my my weighting, so to speak, in terms of why I buy what I buy. Um, and I think I'm probably a type of person that that might actually be hard to to try to figure out how do I pull out my wallet and, and get the spend. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I do believe that uh, it's very true. We we have other research that has shown. Um, Consumers and, and, and people who are actually researching a purchase don't actually like to have somebody directly contact them. They like mm-hmm. to do it on their own terms. They like to do it in their own time. And, and it's interesting because, you know, the, the channels that they may be accessing need to be as effective as, let's say, a, a, a person you're talking to or a person you're seeing face-to-face. And that's a challenge for technology. Certainly isn't. Bill, I, I, you just brought up what I was going to go to next after we go around the table on, on Hakeem's point. I'm just going to bring it up now because you, you uh, interjected it here so beautifully. Separate seller research SAP has collected shows that 59% of buyers don't want to talk to a salesperson. And I've heard, Bill, on other shows we've had research that showed that uh, uh, between 57 and 74%, I think I have my numbers right from memory here, of people have done their buying journey before they even get to the point where they have the opportunity to talk to a salesperson, whether it's on the phone, uh, customer service, whether it's call center, whether it's face-to-face in the store. So we are very independent, and we really want to do what we want to do. And to your point, we are independent. I don't fit in any kind of buyer's profile at all. I mean, I love to walk into Marshall's or uh, or Home Goods or um, TJ Maxx. They're all the same store. And just browse. And if something catches my imagination or my attention, I may buy it. I may not buy it. It's whatever the mood stri- I never go there because I need something. I go there because I want the delight of seeing if I want something. That's that's it, different. Exactly. You agree? Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think there's also differences with regards to, you know, what you're buying. So, you know, how much research you may be doing on something may, may vary. How much, um, you know, what we would call the typical buying cycle, you know, how long from when you decide you need or, or explore when you need uh, to make this purchase to the time when you actually make the purchase, you know, varies tremendously depending on what it is that, that you're looking for. Um, but I think it's very true, and the trend that you're seeing in the industry is, you know, people are a lot more independent, and I mm-hmm. do believe we all think we're unique. Yeah, I think we are, and my mantra is if the shoe fits, damn it, the shoe fits, buy it. That's my <laughs> mantra because most shoes don't fit me anymore, so if I find a pair that fits and they're halfway decent, the, I'm taking them, even if I didn't think about buying them. So there, Chris Pulling, we got to get you in on this big conversation we're having here, Chris, at Baylor University. What do you think about everything we've got on the table now, Chris? Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, what, what's being said is exactly right. I, I think it's interesting because, you know, I think conceptually, I think we're conceptual this as being a loop. And I liked Hakeem's uh, comment that people actually are jumping around inside the loop. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, you know, we're trying to model this curvilinear kind of relationship that maybe cycles around and around um, when, in fact, what he's saying is perhaps people even jump from one place to the other, uh, which is probably true. Uh, it's, it's just really complicated. And I think that the the key here is that we all do want to be treated uniquely, and uh, that's 
you know, that's uh, what technology does allow us to do if it's effectively designed. And, you know, so as a, as a retailer, I'm going to have to continue to embrace this technology. And, you know, back to Bill's comment about, you know, retailers taking these chances and really taking the risk about creating new technology um, and, and, and reaching out to experiment with some different ways of approaching customers and interacting with customers. I think that's going to continue to be the case. Uh, because we're going to have to, because you, you know, millennials are the, are the next big wave of, of consumers coming into the marketplace, and honestly, I think they probably consider themselves as more unique than what we are considering ourselves as today. Uh, so this is going to, you know, not change, and we'll continue to shift more and more power to the consumer. And uh, retailers need to embrace that and um, design technology and interactions to take advantage of the fact that everyone sees themselves as unique. And that will be really a point of differentiation uh, versus even product and, uh, you know, traditional brick-and-mortar kind of retailing uh, dimensions that they've manipulated in the past. You know what you just did, Chris Pollock? You just launched me into the predictions round, the crystal ball segment Excellent. of the show, because we are at that time where I've got exactly five minutes left, and I've got four of you. So I'm just going to ask you one question, Chris, and then we're going to move to Arnold. We're going to get get ready for your predictions, Arnold. You're coming up right now. Uh, Chris, if you were to project all of what you just said, and you did it so beautifully, just you just floated in. I thank you for that. What year would you be talking about all of this happening? In the next how many, how many years? Oh, I would say in the next... Um you know, really, probably about 2020, 2025. I think that's my find... favorite year. That's okay. good. Thank you. I've got four minutes left, and I've got to divide it evenly among all my guests here. All so, right. Arnold Bueso, I'm giving you 60 seconds. Arnold, wrap up. What's your prediction on what would change about the buyer's journey at 2020 or any year you want? Go ahead, Arnold. 60 seconds now. Thanks, Bonnie. I, I think that in the, the next five years, we're going to start look, looking at uh, these new technologies like body scanners or facial recognition software, identifying customers at the door, at stores, and, and uh, customers being more and more accepting of these technologies as they start to to identify those benefits. So I think that's all going to start changing in the next few years, and uh, we're going to start m- moving towards that space. And then uh, some other uh, more controversial um, topics like maybe emotional analytics and 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 stuff like that is going to start becoming the new uh, uh, go-to topic. Thank you, Arnold. Hakim Oladapo, I'm ready for you. What do you see? Predictions. One minute. Uh, um, I'm trying. I'm going to try to squeeze it into six seconds. Uh, first Go of ahead. all, I want to uh, talk about what you just said that uh, you and Bill, you fit into a mode of people that are not predictable and unique. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you, you try you try to change, but that itself that itself it's it's a profile, uh, which is quite ah, interesting. Ah, <laughs> very astute. Great comment. Go ahead, Hakim. So uh, my my prediction into the future is that um, we're going to have um, a lot of, uh, you know, an increase in this omni-channel presence, but it's going to be streamlined more towards convenience, you know. So uh, uh, you, you're going to have things that will make make it easier for you to shop, but at the same time, it will require you to give you to give up some information about yourself. And I see this happening in the next two three years. Thank you very much. Bill Howe, I saved one minute for you. Please go ahead. Predictions and what year in the future or a day, month, week, or minute or hour do you see the future for the buyer's journey? Go ahead, Bill. Great. Thanks. Yeah, so I'd say five years from now, I think what you're going to see is a lot more um, what we would call demographic and, and, uh, you know, personal-like information that, that can help make the shopper experience more convenient, faster, efficient. Um, 
but I don't think you're going to see more data capture around, you know, what we would call private information related to, you know, payment, uh, related to, um, uh, you know, um, other information that, that, quite frankly, if it were to be leaked, could be damaging to, let's say, your credit rating and things like that. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that um, as of right now, there haven't been a lot of cases of identity theft, but I think once more and more of these, you know, kind of leaks occur and more and more people experience um, kind of identity theft, um, I think what you're going to see is a change in consumer behavior. They want the convenience, but it's not necessarily where retailers are focused on the checkout procedure and the payment method, but I think what you're going to see, it's a little bit more around the buying experience itself, the research, the, uh, the decision-making process. Thank you very much, Bill. Thank you to my extraordinary panel. I'm proud of all of you, Professor Chris Pulling, students Arnold Bueso, Akin Oladipo, and SAP's Bill Howe. And a shout-out to Malcolm Kimberlin for setting this all in motion several months ago with Jeff Tanner and Lori Wilson at Baylor. And a shout-out also to Maribel Young for helping us get Bill Howe all set for the show. Let's see. A quick update. Let's see. This is the end of our broadcast week. We're planning all kinds of wonderful things. Starting in early in mid-April, we will be bringing back financial excellence with game changers we like to call that cfo radio on mondays at 1 p.m eastern and then starting on april 16th we'll have four series sharing thursdays at 10 a.m future business with game changers season three innovating innovation with game changers season two meet the visionary game changers brand new starts april 30th and internet of things with game changers season two that's all coming up on thursdays i want to say thank you all for listening i hope you learned a lot i sure did here's my call to action fasten your seatbelt. what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today bonnie d graham signing off for another live edition of coffee break with game changers presented by sap bye bye thanks again for tuning in to coffee break with game changers presented by sap the best run businesses run sap to keep the coffee break conversation going tweet your questions and comments to twitter hashtag pound sign sap r-a-d-i-o Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.